Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 11. If you don't, there's a Bible beneath the chair in front of you or near you, and uh, you can follow along there, or you can follow along on your device if you'd like. Uh, I know that most of you um, don't arrive on time. It's not a judgment, it's just an observation, and you're laughing because it's true, which means you may have missed Kirsten Eason sharing about uh, what's happening on October 22nd. On October 22nd, uh, we actually have our baptism service. One of the questions we get most often is, I've already been baptized when I was an infant, I don't remember it, or when I was a kid, it didn't mean much. Can I be baptized again? Yes, it's interesting um, that in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew and um, Christian scriptures, there's nothing that says it's like one and done, or that if you do it a second time, it's going to be like ineffective. Um, it's a symbol, and it's a symbol that actually reflects on something we're going to talk about today of dying and rising again. And so you might be here and you might be in a place where you think about your life two, three, four years ago and say, yeah, there was some sort of death there and now there's this new resurrection happening in me. And if that's where you are in your life, in your journey, in your spirituality, uh, we invite you to consider uh, baptism. Uh, after our gathering, we'll have people back in the participate area if you'd like to learn more. But just wanted you to know about that. It's on a Sunday, October 22nd. It's right here. And if you've ever been a part of one of our baptism services, they're a hoot. I don't know if that's the best word to use, but that's just a hoot nanny. Um, so yeah, uh, we would love to speak with you more about that. So with that said, let's pray and then we'll jump into teaching. God, we come before you this morning and we do so uh, grateful Grateful that we're here, grateful that you are with us in our midst, grateful that we are together. As we turn our attention towards scripture, we ask that you would speak to us, challenge us, comfort us as is needed for each of us. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, I'll begin reading in verse 29. It says this, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation, It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, 
And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Now this, these group of verses, we actually find it's in the middle of a conversation. And the conversation begins verses earlier because it says that Jesus had cast out a demon that was mute. And this power of this unclean spirit kept an individual from speaking. Now, as I said last week, in the ancient Near Eastern world, there was a connection between physical or mental disabilities and the spirit world. They believed that somehow unclean spirits had this effect on people. And so it says that Jesus casts out this demon, and some in the crowd said, you know, he's doing this by the power of the evil one. Or they actually used the word Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And then it says others said this to him in verse 16. Others tested Jesus by asking him for a sign from heaven. Now what's interesting is the word tested there is the same word for tempt. It's actually the same word that we find in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. And it says the evil one comes to him and tested him or tempted him. And that word tempt is also the word that's assigned to the evil one, that he's the tempter. And so Luke is like doing something a little subversive here, that these people are tempting Jesus, that they're standing in the place of the tempter, even though they're accusing Jesus of doing this by the power of the evil one. It's a very clever wordplay. Now you might read this and think, wait a second, Jesus, Jesus just healed a guy. And what they're asking for is a sign? Like, he, he just did a miracle. But the key phrase in their request is a sign from heaven. Now, miracles, it was understood, happened in real time and happened here on this earth, and it happened to real people, and it was done by individuals. And so that was an earthly sign, in a sense, of the people who were there in that time. Not only that, but Jesus says earlier in this chapter that there were other people who were doing the same thing he was doing. That there were other people who were healing. That there were other people who were performing miracles. And it's not that anyone could do it, but it certainly was not a sign from heaven. If anything, it was an earthly sign. But they want a sign from heaven. Now, in the world that they inhabited, they believed the heavens were something up in the sky. It was not only a three-tiered universe where there was above, but it was in that place that they believed the gods lived. This is why some say, well, by asking for a sign from heaven, they were literally asking for something to happen in the sky. Now, the people that Luke is writing to lived in the Greek world, and they would have known all of the stories and all of the myths about all of the leaders who had signs happen in, heaven, in the heavens, some celestial events, like when Julius Caesar was murdered. As he was murdered, there was a comet that went across the sky. And everyone said, well, we know what this means. He died, there's a comet, he's a god. I mean, shoot, you could come to that realization just walking down the street. And it was the great nephew of, Caesar Augustus, or, uh, of Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus, that then said, ah, if he's a god, then I'm a son of God. And how do we know this? Well, there were signs in the heavens. 
And there were all sorts of these kinds of stories about what could happen with phenomena in the heaven or celestial events like an eclipse or like a shooting star or like a comet. Amy Jill Levine, the Jewish scholar, says no, actually this idea of signs would have been something that could only have happened by the power of God. Not just healings, because those happen all the time. We're talking like the resurrection of the dead, all of the dead, of all of the people who had ever died before. That would be a sign from heaven. Or what about the ingathering of all the Jewish people who had been dispersed in the centuries before around the world when it began with Assyria and then Babylon, when they sacked Israel and they sacked Judah and they spread everyone out? That would be a sign from heaven, getting everyone back to Israel. You know what would be a sign from heaven? The overthrow of Rome. The global military superpower. Let's see if you can defeat them. Let's see if you can topple our oppressor. You know what would be a sign from heaven? The final judgment of all of Israel's enemies, which would bring lasting peace on earth. I mean, just like, you know, those sorts of things. Show us one of those, Jesus. Show us one of those, and then we will know you have divinely granted authority. We will know that you are not doing this by the power of the evil one. We will know that you are who you say you are. I mean, after all, people are beginning to talk and they're saying things like Messiah, son of David, the anointed one, the one that we've long, long anticipated would come and liberate Israel. So go on, Jesus. I mean... There's no reason you couldn't do any of these things if you are who you say you are. And I mean, honestly, why not just give the people what they want? This is really tempting, isn't it? I mean, especially for Jesus who could have done these things. But I don't know that it's tempting just for Jesus. I think it's tempting for us. Like, wouldn't it be tempting just to be able to prove ourselves once and for all? Because what I see in this request of Jesus is something that I see in my own life and something I witness in the lives of people I love and something I witness, honestly, in the lives of most everyone. That was a celestial event. <laughs> yeah, all of you are like, oh, we better listen. Uh, good job on the lighting cue, guys. That was perfect. But there's something like in the ether, or in the air, or maybe it's from within, and it's not like a crowd of people saying, give us a sign from heaven. It's more of a whisper in our ear. Like, do you have what it takes to prove yourself to everyone? You know, if you just accomplish a little bit more, everyone's going to be really impressed with you. You know, if, if you can just show them how much you are worth, they will love you. Go on, go on. Give the people what they want. You see, at the bottom of these questions that seem to whisper is a question that haunts all of us. Am I enough? Am I enough? And honestly, how much energy do we put into trying to answer that question? 
am I enough? How much energy do we put in to try to prove ourselves to others? How much energy do we put in to showing other people how valuable we are or to documenting all of our accomplishments so that people go, wow, that's a pretty impressive human being? I mean, just consider social media for a second. Let's be honest. How much of social media is, look at my life. Look at this great quote I came up with. Look at the great things that I'm doing. Look how perfect my family is after the 87th picture. <laughs> I mean, there's now this thing called Be Real. I don't even know how old that is. Does anyone know who, what Be Real is? Be Real is this idea that like, there's a timer that goes off every day and it's like, okay, post the picture of what you're doing right now because that's real. Except it's not because I'm with a friend of mine a few weeks ago who's on Be Real and he gets a notice on his phone. He's like, oh, it's Be Real time. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. I feel like I've been genuine the entire time we've been together. He's like, no. <laughs> it's this social media thing. So you take a picture of whatever you're doing at the moment and it shows like real life. And I was like, okay. So then he's like, hang on a second. And he's like arranging stuff on the table, like turning labels out this way so we can show that we're drinking the right beer and everything else. And he's like, are you ready? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. And I'm like, this is real? And he clicks it as I'm saying real and like I'm blinking. So it's just like, mm, and everyone's like, that's got to be real. It's not real. And you know, I used to think social media was the problem, but I actually think social media is a symptom of a larger problem. That's the question we ask, are we enough? Am I enough? We just have a new vehicle into the world that is an attempt to show people, yes, we are, even if it's manufactured. But what I've learned over the years of sitting with people and speaking with people and listening to people is that often that question not only comes to us from within, but it comes from outside of us. I mean, how many of us had a parent who no matter what you did, there was always the one thing that you did wrong? Or not even wrong, just not well enough. Like you have now like a 4.0 GPA and they're like, well, I heard that Susie down the street has a 4.275, which by the way, for this newer generation where you can get above a 4.0, it's not real. It's like unicorns, super fun to talk about, great stickers, not real, but somehow it's this comparison game. I scored 22 points tonight in the basketball game. Yeah, but you missed two free throws. And somehow, we internalize these messages. Some of us, we just have that fierce inner critic, don't we? No matter what we seem to do, we just can't celebrate the 98% because, man, that 2% is just getting inside of us and bothers us, and we beat ourselves up mercilessly. And no matter how many people come next to us and celebrate that 98%, all we can do is hold on to this 2%. What about the world of religion? I'm talking about poor religion. The one that just tells you, you honestly are a human turd, and God plugged his nose to rescue you. I mean, that's a summary of the theology that I grew up with. <laughs> Paraphrased a little bit. But I mean, what a terrible story. 
What we've hung on to from Genesis 1 and 2 is not that God said it was good, God said it was good, that we're made in the image and likeness of God. We jump to Genesis chapter 3 as though that's the beginning of the story and we're like, you are terrible and you were born this way and God hates you. Whew, that'll pack out an auditorium. <laughs> and by the way, if you don't admit all of that, God is going to burn you alive in eternal conscious torment forever. What does that send out into the universe? Certainly not, you're enough. You are born deficient. And you better thank your lucky stars that there is a God who cares enough to send his son. And if you don't care enough, he will torture you. And so is it any surprise that how many people live their religious life just trying to appease the angry God somewhere in the sky? This is one of the effects that I have on people just by saying I'm a pastor. I'll meet a complete stranger. What do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I swore right before I asked you before. And they just started this whole like apology spree. And I'm like, I don't care. But there's something in this world of poor religion that has gotten the whole thing upside down and says, you need to prove, you need to ascend the ladder. Why does that work? Because in a curious way, it actually puts us in the driver's seat. It gives us control because we now can manage the whims of the gods. This is why it sells tickets. This is why people have been signing up for it since the dawn of humanity. It's not a new story. It's just evolving. It has different characters in it. How many of us live day in and day out hearing the question, like, show us a sign? It's exhausting, isn't it? And here's the other thing. It doesn't last. Whatever you do today doesn't matter tomorrow, especially in our world of just constant renewal. Years and years ago, almost 15 years ago, um, when blogging was still a thing, I wrote a blog and I tweeted it. And then it got retweeted, or I should say I X'd it, and it got re-X'd now. I don't know what the proper terminology is. But it got retweeted by someone who had a massive following. And a few hours after posting this, I got back on Twitter. Why? Because I had to see if anyone liked it. And I just had, I'm not kidding, thousands of likes. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Hidalgo just went viral. Like it was, I'm getting, email, I'm getting hate mail from people, which like some people are like, I hate hate mail. I don't. If people hate you enough to take time to post about you and to email you, kind of means I think you're a big deal. <laughs> And so, like, I went home that night, like, I was, like, six feet tall, which is shooting high for me, and said to my wife, I was like, guess who went viral? And she was like, I don't care. Can you take out the trash? And I was like, I'll come back in and tell you about it, you know, like, super stoked. And then two days later, I got an email from a friend who was like, hey, man, here's the plan. Not even, like, how are you? Here's the plan. You need to have another, like, A blog and get ready to tweet it out. Everyone's waiting. Have it ready tomorrow. And I was like, why? He said, because that's how you're gonna develop followers. And I was like, but did you see, like, I mean, it's still out there. Like, there's thousands. He's like, doesn't matter. You have to have something else. 
give the people what they want. How exhausting is the game where we are continually trying to say, yeah, no, I'm worth something, I'm valuable, look what I've accomplished. What I love about Jesus is he says this, oh, I'll give you a sign, it's just not the sign you're going to ask for, it's not the sign that you're interested in. In fact, the sign is so different, what it means is I'm not playing your game of trying to prove myself because I don't have to. I've already heard this is my son whom I love before I did anything. So here's the sign I'll give you. I'll give you the sign of Jonah, which is a very cryptic, confusing sign. And there's a lot of different commentary on exactly what he meant, but most agree that the sign points back to a story in the Hebrew Scriptures, a fairly well-known story, even if you didn't grow up in the church, about a prophet named Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, we learn, and says, go to the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, because their wickedness has risen up against me and preach against them. And Jonah says, no. Because Assyria is known historically for one thing above everything else. They were a brutal, barbaric, violent society. That they are the ones who developed all sorts of ways of torturing human beings. And they did it in the public square for entertainment. So Jonah gone now makes total sense. And he gets on a boat and he sails away from Nineveh. And if you know the story, a storm comes. The, the crew is losing their minds because they think the ship is going to sink. And Jonah finally says, hey, we're all here because of me. Throw me overboard. And he's tossed overboard, and as he descends into the deep, we learn that a fish comes and swallows him and then carries him apparently somewhere toward Nineveh and spits him out on the shore. It's this symbol in the Jewish consciousness of death and resurrection. Jesus says, that's the sign I'll give you. And it will point toward my own coming death and my own coming resurrection. In other words, all those games that you want to play, all those signs that you want, here's my sign. I'll take, I'll take all of your demands for proof. I'll take all of your requests for a sign. I'm going to take those down into the abyss, into the dark, into the belly of the fish, if you will. But only I'm coming back. And Jesus, in saying this, points toward the universal pattern of transformation, that there is death, that there is burial, but that there's always resurrection, new life, transformation. And I don't think that Jesus points to this only because of what he is going to do. I think he points to it because it's an invitation for everyone else. I think he points to it because he doesn't care about all that everyone else wants. He's done with that. I say that because there's some pretty incredible stories about Jesus. One of them is found in Luke chapter 5 where a leper comes to him and asks to be healed and Jesus heals him. And it was said in rabbinic writings that a leper was a walking corpse and that only God could heal a leper. And so when Jesus does this, he then orders the leper, don't tell anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. There's another story in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus raises a young girl back to life and it says her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. 
Jesus, why aren't you telling anyone? I mean, this is not good PR. You're not going to get a good book deal out of this. You're not going to have a good podcast. Do you realize you could turn those critics into fans? You could grow your audience. And he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done with all of that. I'm dying to that. I'm going into the earth, and I'm coming back out, and I'm leaving all of that behind. And somehow Jesus seems to know that God's not interested in all the signs. That the demands that are placed on us, the demands that we place on ourselves, those can go into the belly of the whale for all he's concerned. And I think for us this morning, that's really good news, but it's also bad news. Let me start with the good news. The good news is, when we hear Jesus saying this, what he's saying to us is, hey, you can die to all of those demands too. You can actually take the painful journey of liberation into death and resurrection. I mean, it's what the people of Nineveh did. They heard Jonah speak and they repented. They changed their mind. They died to one way of life and they lived in a new one. They're the ones who at the end of all things will be standing up because they've gone through it. It's really good news because you don't have to play the game anymore where you try to get God to be impressed with you. That game was canceled due to lack of interest on God's part. <laughs> what God wants is you. The good news is that you can't impress God with all of the things that you do. And by the way, some of the things you do are quite remarkable. But God doesn't need them or want them for God to love you. God just loves you because God is good. God loves you because God is love. God loves you because God can't feel any other way. God loves you exactly the way you are and way too much to let you stay that way. It's called grace. This is the good news. The good news is you can stop trying so hard. The good news is that you can let go, that you can give up, that you can rest in the peace and the joy of knowing you have nothing to prove to God. But here's the bad news. You have to die. You have to die. You have to die to that game that everyone seems to be asking you to play. The one that says, give us a sign, then we'll, then we'll buy into whatever it is you're doing. Prove yourself to us so that we'll know who you are, who you say you are. You have to die to that. And, and typically, death before we die is often something that's not of our own choosing. Maybe this is why Jesus picked the prophet Jonah to point to. Jonah, like something happened to him, he didn't pursue it. He was running for his life. Literally. And something overtakes him, and before he knows it, he finds himself in the abyss, in the deep, in the belly of a whale. And we hear that Jonah, or that death happens to Jonah in his prayer in Jonah chapter 3 when he says this, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You see, this death came to Jonah. In a similar way, this death came to Jesus. We learn that Jesus 
was betrayed, he was arrested, he was abandoned, he was forced into a sham trial, he was brought before the authorities, he was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem, he was nailed to a stake by hands other than his. That oftentimes these deaths are something that happened to us. And we can fight like hell or we can surrender. That's the bad news. Surrender. Give up. Recognize you don't have control. That you can't do anything to sway the heart of the loving God. In a world that is all about us taking control and making our way and climbing the ladder and everything else that we talk about in this individualistic society of ours, the bad news is all you can do is surrender and die. Remembering that in the Jesus story, death does not have the last word. That belongs to resurrection. Resurrection which is transformation. Richard Rohr, in talking about this story, says this. He says, This is indeed unsatisfying, for it is not a sign at all, but more an anti-sign. It demands that we release ourselves into the belly of darkness before we can even know what is essential. It insists that the spiritual journey is more like giving up control than taking control. It might even be saying that others will often throw us overboard, and that we get to the right shore by God's grace more than right action on our part. It is clearly a very disturbing and unsatisfying sign. Faith is precisely no thing. It is nothing we can prove in order to be right or use to get anywhere else. Maybe Jesus' response to these people who want a sign is also an invitation. An invitation to surrender, an invitation to recognize that we are where we are because of God's part in this, not because of anything we've done. My spiritual director talks about this kind of life and this kind of living. He said it's, it's the point where you're treading water and you think everything's going fine and something pulls you underneath the water and before you know it, you are carried by unseen forces to a distant shore not of your own choosing. And it's at that point, when you're spit up on shore, you have this new life that only comes from God. Jesus says, I'm not going to play the game. And I think Jesus invites us, stop playing the game. Simply surrender. This is something that we acknowledge, that we recognize each week when we participate together in Eucharist. We declare that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was shed. And we don't do this meal with sorrow, we do it with hope. It was actually called by the early Christians the love feast. Why? Because we know that death doesn't have the last word. We know it's the most painful of all liberations, the most painful of all transformations, experiencing a death and a new life on the other side of it. And so as we prepare to participate in Eucharist this morning, my hope for you is that Maybe you'll spend a minute or two and think about what are the ways that you're just continually trying to prove yourself to others? What does that burden feel like? 
What did you come in carrying at different levels of awareness this morning of I got to be something for someone else? Maybe this morning when you participate in Eucharist, as you take that bread and you drink that wine, you might just feel a sense of I'm just going to lay all of this down and I'm going to trust in this symbol. I'm going to trust in this meal. I'm going to trust in this invitation. We invite any of you who want to to come because this is not our table. This is the table of Jesus. And if there's anything we know about Jesus, he says every single one of you is welcome. All that he asks for is hunger and thirst. And so we participate in this and we do so remembering the words of Jesus on the night he was betrayed from the Gospel of Matthew. This is while they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And we invite you to come as you're ready. There'll be two stations down front here. You can come down the center aisle. There'll also be stations against the walls there. You can come down the sides, and we ask that you would return to your seat up the diagonal aisles. Please come when you're ready. Thank you for engaging our teaching with us as we continue to explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. Prayer is essential for our personal and spiritual growth and is part of allowing us to grow alongside one another and help each other along life's journey. Each week, our leadership spends time praying with and for you. If you have a prayer request, please send it to us through our prayer form linked on our website at denverchurch.org. To stay connected with all that is happening in the life of our community, we encourage you to sign up for our weekly email or download our DCC app. Again, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. It is always great to be together.